0: Okay, so, hope we remembered that we do have a quiz this week, looking at the verses of the plan of salvation, and again, there's a lot of different verses for some of these um, aspects of the plan of salvation, but there's specific ones that we had on the sheet from last week, but I'm going to ask you a special favor, since we're in the church building, no cheating, please. Don't pull out your sheep from last week. And also, if you're like a preacher or an elder or a deacon, don't raise your hand unless absolutely nobody knows it. Okay. So let's start with the steps. And we can yell these out, then we'll raise our hands. What's the first step we talked about? Here. Okay. Five of y'all knew it. That's great. Here. What's next? Fantastic. All right, believe. What's after believe? A little mix. Repent. Okay, what's next? There we go. And what's the last one we got here? Be baptized. All right, fantastic. All right, now we're going to do the verses. And we're going to do... um, Oh, go ahead and raise your hand. All right, so who's got the verse for here? Yes, sir. Romans 10.10. 10. Close. Write book. 10.17. There we go. Romans 10.17. All right. Believe. And there's a lot of ones for this one. We went with a good one. Yes, sir. Yeah. John 3.16. All right. Perfect. Again, a lot of places you could go for all of these. Repent. Who's got the one for repent? Raise your hand. Yes, ma'am. Acts 3.17. Close. There you go. Acts 3.19. Very good. Confess. Who's got the one for confess? Yes, ma'am. Romans Romans 10.10. There we go. And then, this is the hardest one. Be baptized. Who's got the one for be baptized for this class? Let's try to get somebody new here. Come on. Don't be embarrassed. Acts 2.38. There you go. Acts 2.38. All right. Very good. Very good, everybody. Overall... Thank you guys, did a good job. I do grade on a curve, so there might be some 100s in here. I don't know. (laughs) We'll have to wait to find out. All right, so remember this. Keep this in mind. Remember you have that sheet, something to know, some places to go, and a quick study type situation. And I didn't want to say anything last time. I didn't want to spoil it. But we are working on a little handy guide that we're going to laminate if uh, Terry lets me. We're going to laminate, and then we're going to hand out to everybody that put in your Bible, take wherever you need to go. Like a bookmarker. Like a bookmarker. Very similar. Alright, so, this is lesson one of entering the field. Remember, up until this point in the book, we've been covering this topic of preparing for the field, and this idea of remembering that uh, God shows no partiality, remembering that you know, if somebody rejects us in an evangelistic effort, they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting God. Uh, remembering that really uh, God's in control, God's sovereign. We can lean on Him, depend on Him, go where He leads, and trust Him. Uh, we talked about interjecting Jesus, interjecting spiritual things into everyday conversations and trying to get into the habit of that. And now we're talking about entering the field. And the first thing in entering the field is don't wait for the loss to come to you. And obviously, I think it's pretty self-explanatory what that's about. But sometimes, and I don't think this is bad, and there's kind of of a debate going on almost between people who write in the Church of Christ about this idea of whether or not inviting somebody to church services or worship services, pardon me, is a legitimate evangelistic effort. I'm on the side that I do think that that's a legitimate evangelistic effort, But I'm a little partial. I became a Christian after being invited to a worship service, right? So obviously that can happen. And I think that here in these worship services is where we have the people who, maybe if we're at the end of a study with somebody, we don't know what the next step is. There's resources here by which that study can continue. And Lori kind of passed me on to Matt, who passed me on to Chad. So bringing someone to the worship service, I think definitely is something that should be a goal of ours. But at the same time, you know, we still have to invite that person. We still have to go to them and invite them. We still have to have those conversations, even if we're not at a worship service or at the church building. So something to keep in mind. Uh, So first, we're going to look at these, the context of these well-known verses. I think a lot of us know these Great Commission texts, as we often call them, Mark 16, 15 through 16. Can anybody either quote that or paraphrase that? Or know what's going on there? Mark sixteen fifteen through 16. There you go, bingo. It talks about going to all the creation, preaching the gospel to every creature, and he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who believes not shall be condemned. We know that. Probably fewer of us know the verses after that, verses 17 through 18. And Jesus talks about signs that will accompany the apostles. Things like drinking poison and not being hurt. Things like getting bit by a snake and not being hurt. Different things like that. And we see that happen in the life of Paul. Do you remember when Paul, where was he? Malta? Yeah, he was on that island. He got bit by a snake. What was it? Malta? I think it was Malta. John was on Patmos. Yeah, Malta. And uh, that snake just went up there and bit him. And he was like, fine. And, of course, the people were like, wow, he thought he was a god, I think, which, you know, not what you want. But still, he wasn't hurt by that snake. Uh, so sometimes kind of the same thing with Matthew 28:18 through 20. Matthew 28:18 through 20, real popular verse, the Great Commission, go into all the earth and preach uh, the gospel. And he talks about, you know, all authority has been given to me from heaven and earth. I mean, sorry, on heaven and earth. Um, and he talks about how Christians are to go and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them all things as I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Amen. And that's that great commission text. Sometimes we forget about what happens just before that. And that's really what we're going to be looking at during this class period. Some evangelistic insights from Matthew 28:16 through 20. Looking at the whole thing kind of in this snapshot because it teaches us some things about going out and trying to reach other people. Uh, So somebody read that for us, that whole text. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. If somebody could do that for us loudly, please. Thank you. Uh, So we're going to see a couple of lessons from this Great Commission text. So starting in verses 16 through 17, I want us to think about this idea of evangelism begins with worship. And that might sound weird, but if you look at worship really as it is the actions we do, but it's also a mindset, right? Because you can go through the actions and your heart not being in it, your mindset not be there, and you didn't really worship. So this idea of recognizing God for who he is, recognizing Jesus for who he is, and that leading to us being motivated to reach out to other people. So notice those verses there. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Pretty interesting. Jesus, a couple of different times in his appearances post-resurrection, says, go ahead to Galilee, I'll meet you there. So they're there, they're doing what he said, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. And you could see how that would be the case, right? You know this man was dead, and now he's alive. You know He's the Son of God. You worship Him. And it's interesting it says, but some doubted. So I think here, just getting this idea of before we are evangelistic, we must recognize Jesus for who He really is. We must have that awe before God. Uh, But it can't stop there. You know, a lot of what the church does as a body of believers is here in the church building, praising, worshiping, fellowshipping. There's nothing wrong with that but our goal is to extend it out of the church building and try to get others in that, involved in that, added to the kingdom. And the only way we can do that is to share it with other people. The next lesson is this idea of Jesus' authority <coughs> being the answer to our doubt. And I always think it's pretty interesting when you read this again, it says that when they saw Him, they worshiped Him, and then this detail is interesting, but some doubted. And there's some discussion about who those some may have been. You know, He doesn't really name names. You know, some of the details about Thomas that I mentioned in some of the other Gospels are mentioned in Matthew. Maybe it's a reference to that. Either way, there's some who doubt it. And we don't know a whole lot about that doubt. Part of me thinks it was kind of those, you know, when you see something that's almost too good to be true, and you're like, wait, is this really happening? You know, imagine he was dead for three days, and here, now he is just walking around, right? And he's talking to you and interacting with him. It would be pretty awesome. Um, but notice what goes on in verse 18. It says, but some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, and He knows the hearts of men. He knows these individuals. Some of them are doubting. And His response to them is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. And He goes, so therefore, go and do this mission. But I think it's interesting, this contrast or this juxtaposition, the way these two things are put next to each other, the doubt of the disciples with the authority of Jesus. Um, And we see that Jesus' authority kind of quells our doubt. We can rely on Him. We can trust Him. We have a concrete historical event that happened in the finite past with the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can rely on and look back to and draw, hopefully, strength and courage from that. Um, And I think it also helps us in those evangelistic situations. We need to depend on the authority of Jesus and be comforted by the authority of Jesus when we're trying to talk to somebody about the gospel, when we're trying to share the good news with somebody. And remember, this person, they don't have all authority on heaven and earth. I don't have all authority on heaven and earth. The one who made this great commission to go and for his disciples to multiply, he's the one who has all authority. So if I'm going to live for anybody, if I'm going to do anything, I should live for him and do what he's asked. What uh, questions or comments might you have so far? Does that make sense? How Jesus' authority helps with our doubt? Yeah. Lively crowd tonight. Okay, on to the next one. Uh, But really the crux of this is we must get to the mission. Um, And let's read those verses 19-20. through Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So there's another comforting thing, this idea of Jesus being with his disciples there even to the end of the age. But I think it's interesting that these men were worshiping him, and at least the way this is kind of drawn out in the text, it's almost as if he interrupts their worship to send them to go baptize and teach and make disciples of all the nations. And I think, you know, it's important to be reminded that worship is not the sum of the mission of the church. Is worship an important part of our Christian life? Absolutely, 100%. Should we be here every time we possibly can? Absolutely, 100%. Should we invite people in? For sure. Should our family be here? Absolutely. But it extends beyond the worship. Right? That's only part of why we're here in this kingdom. We also ought to be concerned with broadening its borders. And in the book, he really paints this picture, and I, think, I hope it will be helpful for us, of worship as a place in part, this isn't its sole purpose, but worship in part as a place where we gain the strength and the encouragement needed to go out and to share the Gospel with other people. Um, if we see the mission as being here for worship services, then we come here, we do our thing, we're done, we leave, we wait till Wednesday, we come here and do it again, we leave, we wait till Sunday, we come here and do it again. But if we can look at these times together as times to be strengthened, to be stirred up to love and good works like is talked about in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, then we can use what we learn here hopefully and the encouragement we gain here to go out and to preach to others. So you see that last point there, item four on the back page, the church should be worshipful but also driven to fulfill the mission of God. So worship's important, we should be here, we should do that, but we can't forget about this send out that Jesus has to his disciples and even to us. Though we weren't there, though we weren't though we're not apostles and can't be apostles, Jesus still desires for his disciples to multiply in this way. As you go teaching others, baptizing them and making them disciples. What questions or comments might you have so far?
1: I got one about, like, the thousands, if they didn't believe Jesus,
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That seems to be the case. And, you know, it's easy to say, well, if I saw what they saw, I would be so committed. You know what I mean? But we see even, I mean, these guys who spent years with Jesus still struggle and still fail him and still, like Peter, deny him uh, or might doubt him. But that's a good point. You know, it's hard for me to understand that you see it, you've seen everything, Mhm. I yeah. Right. And
1: then they'll go back and And then you know, but it just to
0: be. Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. Thankfully, you know, God's merciful and he's, he's willing to, to uh, not give up on us. Yes, sir? Verse 17 of
2: Matthew 28, when they saw him, they were, they were,
0: Yeah, that's a good question. That's not something I really um, looked at before. That but there makes it seem, I'm not sure what word that is in the original, but depending on which one it is, that might be indicative of a contrast. Yeah. Is, is that what you think? Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. George, do you have any insight on that as far as the text goes?
3: Yeah. You know, I'm not a Greek guy, so I'm right. not, you know, saying that they didn't translate it right. But right. in the Straight context, up. Up, yeah. if if is to bow down before, to it fall yeah, you know, that would be something that you would do to a lord, to a king, to someone of, of authority. And if, they, <laughs> if that seems to go with the context, you know, because in the next verse, all power is given me into heaven and earth but then again,
2: I'm not... I'm not you know, how does that relate to... No. Well,
3: maybe some of them doubted his authority. You know, weren't sure about
0: that yet. Yeah, but it's hard to tell, you know. There's not yeah, I'm definitely not. There's smart, not a word for bow down and a word for worship, you know, so yeah. you got to kind of... Uh, the context kind of helps us there, but... Yeah, that's a good question. Um, but does seem to be a contrast, but they could just be within the group, so... Um, but yeah, that's a good point. Oops. Yes, sir. Yes,
1: um, I don't know about you, but if I see a dead one walking, I'm i going to die.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I,
1: I, I see a bit of Jesus. Yeah, I tell you proven that he's Jesus. I'm gonna tell I'm still gonna worship him. Right. Die. Right. So, so it, it tells eleven of them are there.
3: They all worship. Mm-hmm.
1: But some Put of them
3: will say, hey,
0: Right, they had some reservations, maybe just because here's something I'd never seen before. Right, right, yeah. Mhm. Yeah, but do you think somebody could be conflicted in? Well, yeah but if your best friend died 3 days ago and then you see him walking around it might be
1: involved in the resurrection.
0: Yeah. Well, I hope they straighten it out. I'm going to say at least out the Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, more than enough we have to to be sure what happened. So either way, whether that was an intellectual doubt an emotional doubt, a rational doubt, an irrational doubt. There was some doubt present, but Jesus quelled that with His authority. And I think still today, He can quell our doubt with His authority. A um, couple of things here. Let's turn over to John twenty nineteen through 22. And see, there's not really a great commission the same way we see in Mark and Matthew, and even a little bit in Luke that we really see in, as we see in John. But there's this interesting account here of what happens in John twenty nineteen through twenty two. Somebody will read that for us. Thank you. So a lot in there is kinda hard to digest. But really the main point I'm gonna see here is how these disciples, Jesus' reaction to these disciples and what they're doing. So they're huddled together, they're fearful, and again they're on the first day of the week. This is this theme you see throughout the New Testament. Jesus' disciples assembled together on the first day of the week. They're assembled together on the first day of the week, the doors are locked because they're afraid of the Jews. Jesus comes to them, stands among them, says, peace be with you. And if you think about it in a lot of ways, peace is the opposite of fear. Uh, So he's maybe trying to settle them, trying to help them, trying to encourage them. He goes on and he shows them his hands. He shows them his side and kind of confirming like, look, yes, I am Jesus. And he says that he's sending them out, right? As the Father even sent me, so I am sending you. So again, in the midst of this time where the disciples are together and they're afraid, Jesus reminds them, like, hey, there's work to do. You know, there's something we're working towards. There's a mission in front of us. And of course, that mission is being uh, sent out. And there's a good quote from the book. It says, when the church would rather huddle and cuddle instead of seeking the loss, we've missed the balance between worship and outreach. And that might feel like it steps on our toes a little bit, uh, but I think it's a good reminder of the purpose of the church isn't just inward. It's not just the fellowship and the worship we have, but it's also trying to bring others into that and looking at the lost, looking at people who desperately are in need of Jesus. So I think it's a good thing to remember. And then point four there, item four under A, remember that the world will not evangelize itself. And we talked about this a little bit. Sometimes we doubt our ability to reach out to other people, Uh, but we might be the most qualified person to reach out to some of those in our life because of our background, because of our relationship with them, because of what we know. Uh, So we can't let that doubt or fear get in our way. All right, so again, just really wrapping up, we want, if you get anything from this lesson, it's this, allow the worship and the fellowship that we enjoy together to equip, encourage, and energize us to go out and to fulfill God's mission of reaching the lost. And, you know, we can have this class for quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter, but if we never go out and implement these things and speak to those who are around us, it's really off um, for naught. we got to put these things in action. All right, so any questions, comments towards the end here? No? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And they believe what they believe. Right. You can share
2: things with them, and they're you know, it's like, ah, yeah, we do that. So it's like they do a part of what we do as far as worship, worship service goes.
0: Right. But then they add or take away stuff. Right. good rapport with them. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I would, you
2: know, really feel sad if I'm there and i try to share things with with 'em and
0: something happened to them, like they passed away or something, yeah. Yeah, I know that yeah, no, that's hard to uh hard to wrestle with, you know, but um
2: and they truly believe that what they believe is
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's I mean that's some of the difficulty of you know, some of these things and just trying to, like we talked about earlier, trying to bring those things up without one, felling in our responsibility, but also two, without burning any bridges, you know, so that's definitely um, a tough thing to do. But we had some hands. I don't know if it was in response or we'll go with Wayne and then, and then we'll come up. Yes, sir. Right.
1: Yeah. And I showed her over and over again in the
3: Scripture, and she, and she will not be converted from anything besides what she
0: believed. Yeah, yeah. I think we all probably know some people like that, where you just try to talk to them about stuff, and it's, you know, there's no, they're stuck where they are, kind of. Um, but that's a good point. You had something, right? Yeah. I
1: had a discussion today with the guy that mulls my grass.
0: Great, great. Yeah, yeah. It's hard,
1: you know, to convince
0: people. For sure. And I think especially in some of these kind of, you know, just these little short, almost like soundbite kind of conversations, you know what I mean? Sometimes it doesn't. Um, And that's where I think, like, the Fishers of Men stuff does a good job of asking questions to get the, and this is kind of talking to everybody who just spoke, Asking questions to try to get them thinking about some of these things for themselves. You know what I mean? And maybe uh, saying, well, we'll talk about that answer next time I see you or something like that. You know what I mean? I mean he, but, he
1: knows he said, right. He knows the scripture.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, we got Jim, I think, it's first, and then Chad. You just the question.
2: Our total question.
0: Yeah, that's true. Because then you can show them in the scriptures where that's not the case. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember even one of the most, I've had a couple studies with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. And the most productive one I've had was uh, me and the guy who was studying with them asked them what they did to be saved. You know, so you're saved. Like, what happened? What did you do? And they really just struggled to answer that question. They really couldn't even tell us, and it was almost as if you could tell they didn't know if they were or not, you know. And that's when we went to the Bible and said, "Look, this is how we know you become a Christian." And we, and it, I mean, it lasted a couple of studies. Of course, you know, it kind of fizzled out, and they wouldn't reach us back. But you could tell they were just were thinking about that question and were trying to answer it. And you could tell that they were seeing that their answer in the Bible really were not on the same page. Um, whether or not that led to anything, you know, I don't think so. But, Chad, you, you had your hand up.
2: Yeah, I'm just, because we're talking about how people don't want to change their position. I think have really kind of two thoughts. Um, if, if we are honest with ourselves, we should be willing to look at the truth and go wherever the truth leads us. mm mm-hmm. Right. But I found the thing that I found the easiest way to approach that instead of of head on. When I push head on, I get pushed back at the same strength or more, pushing back, and I don't get anywhere. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who doesn't want to share with you what they believe or explain why they believe what they believe, you know? So if you kind of, it's, they're explaining it to you. That kind of flips the table. Flips the table? What's the phrase I'm looking for? Flips the script, turns the table? The tables are turned. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Any any other comments or questions? Love it. Anybody else have anything before we get to the homework? No? Yes, sir.
2: It seems that it's in some cases easier to approach a study with someone who doesn't really have God in their life Mm -hmm. rather than somebody who does believe that they are right about it. I mean, just using you as an
0: example. Yeah. And sometimes
2: it's easier to bring up those subjects and get somebody's curiosity that doesn't think they
0: might want it. For sure, yeah, because sometimes, I mean, people, you're almost providing me with a solution for a problem I think I've already solved. You know, so that's kind of tough. And also, this idea of, um, you know, to get somebody to teach somebody to that point where they realize their need to repent and be baptized, you're having to kind of undo a lot of what they already you know, know or think they know. And then if somebody just says, has no foundation, you know, then it's like undoing what's there, but then you can build a lot easier. So I think that is a good point. Not that the denominational people should be ignored, but just something to be aware of. You know, you're gonna have to deal with with some of, those, uh, some of that pushback. Yeah, that's a great point. So this is, this is the homework here, and it's a little um, drawn out. Not drawn out, but it's gonna take some thought. And the way it's written in the book almost seems impossible, but it's not. This is what we're gonna do. The first thing, and it's on the list, I mean on the sheet, we're gonna make a list of the activities you do in an average week. And you might think, wow, I do 10,000 things in a week. I understand that, that's okay. I think there's some of the big things. You know, there's things we might, every Wednesday I go to the grocery store. Every Tuesday I mow my lawn. Every Thursday, I go to the bank every Friday. You know what I mean? There's things we do maybe where we have a routine. I think some of those we need to be mindful of. Um, But yeah, make a list of activities you do in an average week. Some of the big highlights. And then we're going to ask the following questions in the first place. What activity could I replace with something evangelistic in nature? So maybe there's something we're doing that when we think about it's kind of a waste of time. Or maybe there's something, and we're going to get to these, another one, how can I make time for evangelism in my weekly schedule? Maybe we stay at home all day, every day. Maybe there's a neighbor we can talk to, maybe there's somebody we can call on the phone, right, if we're just sitting there uh, playing solitaire, maybe there's somebody we can call on the phone and have a chat with, something like that. Also, what activity can be made to be evangelistic? Maybe that's something we can think about. Where's a place where I've never really tried to start a conversation that I could? uh, Where's some untapped potential for that maybe in my life? Maybe one thing, you know, if we're already on Facebook, scrolling or doing whatever, maybe there's somebody who comments about something that's recently happened or makes a post about something that's recently happened, we could throw in a comment there, maybe say something. Maybe there's somebody we could instant message or on Messenger, And say something to them there. Maybe there's a post we could make. You know, like a question. Like, what do you guys think about XYZ? You know, how often do you read your Bible? What's your favorite Bible verse? All kinds of ins, I think, on social media. So these are the questions we're going to ask. And please be prepared to share something next week from this. And even if, I mean, you don't have to literally pull out a piece of paper and write down the things you do every week. Just something to think about. And then how can we inject evangelism into our week-to-week activities. Because remember, more than likely, the loss will not come to us. All right, thank you for your time. Thank you for the study. We'll see you next week. See you Sunday, hopefully.